And it is Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith and time for Baldry's Beat with Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief. And we will be taking your phone calls to Keith after the next break, 604-280-9898. So, Keith, some power behind the podium. BC officials pushing back on the critics of the safe supply. What do we make of this? Yeah, that was quite the event I attended yesterday at the Legislature uh, Press Theater with uh, the unprecedented appearance on the same news conference of Chief Coroner Lisa LaPointe, uh, Public Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, and the Children's Representative Jennifer Charlesworth, all appearing to send a strong message that the Safe Supply uh, Program has its faults and has its you know kinks being ironed out, but by and large, is successful and is not to be blamed for the deaths in the opioid crisis. So it was an unprecedented show of unity amongst three key figures in the province, uh, and basically pushing back against some politicians uh, with no names, even though they were asked about Pierre Poliev uh, in one of the reporter's questions. They did not uh, say there was any single politician they were pushing against or any single media report. Global News has done some reports on the safe supply. Um, say basically they trying to refute what they labeled to be anecdotal uh, information rather than data that they've been compiling. And afterwards, I talked to them uh, off camera and pointed out that data collection is key uh, to explaining complex policies such as this one. And I pointed back, you go back to the beginning of the COVID pandemic, when we were sort of groping and feeling our way for the first few months, we had no idea what this was, what COVID was, what and we were relying, not relying, but responding to anecdotal uh, evidence, or not evidence, a- anecdotal accounts of, of what COVID was, where it came from, what it was doing. And until we got enough data to refute some of these sort of, in hindsight, wild claims about COVID, it was sort of tough to, to counter some of the anecdotal information. So they agreed they need to provide more data to back up the safe supply policy, break down the number of cases, uh, things that have gone sideways that didn't work out, uh, and they pledged to do that. So this is another strand of the, of the drug crisis that has emerged in, in recent months because it's relatively new of the safe supply, and it doesn't affect a lot of people. You know, there's 100,000 people they disclosed yesterday with an opioid disorder in B.C., uh, and about 5,000 of those, or some, some figure like that, are in the safe supply programs. But again, they say, you know, the, the statistics are that illicit fentanyl, which has nothing to do with safe supply, is the primary and dominant killer of people. Uh, 80, 86% of the deaths are attributed to illicit, the, the yeah. contaminated of illicit fentanyl, not the safe supply. So again, it was an extraordinary news conference. You know, Keith, it was interesting listening to Bonnie Henry actually doubling down, saying the safe supply is not even uh, meeting the needs. Here's a clip of what she had to say yesterday. Hear from clinicians that it's not meeting the needs for some of their uh, the clients and the, the patients in their clinics, and so it is possible it could be used for people to get um, other drugs that are meeting their needs. Yeah, powerful, eh? Well, yeah, and I, and I heard Jennifer Charlesworth on with you, um, and she was probably the strongest uh, language yesterday. I thought where she really pushed back against. Uh, anecdotal information coming from politicians who basically labeled a lot of this as fear-mongering, that uh, people were seizing on one bad outcome, which is tragic. No matter how how you dress it up, one person's death is tragic. And we have had the father of a a 14-year-old talk about 
uh, that person dying in the safe supply, but that doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean the entire program is wrong. So there are, and, and they made the point again: substance uh, abuse or people taking drugs has been with us forever. I mean, you know, when you and I were growing up, people were taking drugs, uh, but they weren't dying at the same rate because we did not have this strain of of poison, which is illicit fentanyl, in the drug supply. You didn't have the same number, anywhere near the number of deaths back in the. 70s, 80s, 90s uh, attributable to this because fentanyl was not commonplace and now it is. And that's why safe supply, they argue, is just a recognition that you just can't wish drug use to go away because it's never going to go away. There are always going to be people who use illicit drugs. There always have been people using illicit drugs. It's just now illicit drugs have never been more dangerous than they are now. So supplying a safer drug with the recognition that you just can't you know, snap your fingers and say, everybody stop using drugs, is a way to keep people alive rather than uh, pushing them towards the illicit drug trade. Right. Keith, you made reference uh, to this. Greg Sword, by the way, is going to join us at 1030. He's the dad whose mm-hmm. daughter died from an overdose after becoming addicted, as he describes, to hydromorphone. So be interesting to hear from him on this. Um, switching over to federal politics we're looking at David Johnston testified in front of the Commons Committee. Uh, what about this? Yeah, so again, Johnson's sort of pushing a very large boulder up a very steep hill here, trying to insist that there's no conflict between him and his contacts with the, with the Trudeau family. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to succeed in this. The latest revelation is, uh, I think it was in the Globe and Mail today and other news outlets as well, is that his lead counsel turns out to be a significant donor to the federal Liberal Party. Uh, Toronto lawyer Sheila Block uh, participated in a private Zoom uh, webinar fundraiser in March. Uh, her firm uh, donated seventy-five more than $7,500 over the uh, number of years. No, not in one year, but over, I think, 15 years. But it's, again, it's an example of central Canadian mentality sometimes. Cannot separate that the fact that if you've got ties to a federal party, the fact that you're investigating a federal party might be a bit of a problem. And I think Johnson's on the defensive uh, this morning in front of that committee. Pierre Poliev wasn't in the room. He left it to his MPs to do the grilling. But again, it's focusing on his relationship with the government, with the Liberal Party, with Justin Trudeau. I just wonder if this renders his attempt to sort of have these public hearings into uh, foreign interference in our election system kind of a moot exercise. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, if people aren't going to participate or attach any credibility to it, I'm not sure what the point is. We do have a clip, by the way, of uh, him testifying this morning. Here's David Johnston. I've heard clearly the disagreement with my recommendations not to call a public inquiry, as well as allegations about my integrity and my independence. These allegations are, put simply, false. And the decision to repeat them does not make them true. It almost sounds like he's got friends whispering in his ear, don't worry, it's all okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I've never been a fan of public inquiries. I don't think they're the big panacea that people think they are. They frequently run into roadblocks and stall and sort of peter out. Uh, So that's one thing. But to ignore his relationship with the Trudeau family, the Trudeau Foundation, now his lawyer in a law firm that has ties to the Liberal Party, the fact that his lawyer participated in a fundraiser for the Liberal Party, um, you know, it, it's it's problematic to say the least. And I, if, if a whole 
chunk of the electorate is just not going to attach any credibility to your exercise. I'm not sure what the point of the exercise is at the end of the day. And back to Keith Baldry, Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief, taking your call 604-280-9898 for things on your mind. Let's go to North Vancouver and Peter. What's up, Peter? Guys, thanks for taking thanks for taking my call. I'm I'm going to quote the great and now BC Sports Hall of Fame broadcaster Dan Russell, who once said, in reference to somebody, and I say it in reference to David Johnson. That guy wears the Captain C on the I don't get it team sweater. And to be frank, Trudeau wears the same thing. The, so maybe they're the C and the A on that sweater. But, <laughs> but conflict of interest is not about the state of mind of the person whose interests are in conflict. Of course they don't feel conflicted. It is about the perception of conflict and the trust that the public can have in their decision. And as soon as we see that their interests are conflicted, we are skeptical and we don't trust the answer. And when the answer conveniently comes out in line with the, the uh, interests of the, those, you know, the, the conflicted interest, it makes us angry and skeptical. Yeah, interesting. And, and the fact that they don't get that, you know, makes us cynical and angry and hate the whole process. And I think Peter is touching on something here, Keith, that uh, has come up in politics before. When you talk about conflict of interest, it's not only the conflict, but you have to be appear to be seen to be clean. Yeah, that's that's the key. So great uh, comment by Peter. It, it's the appearance of a conflict for a reasonable person. And I think the, the argument can be made that a, re, a, a reasonable person could look at what's going on and say, you know what, I think there's a little too tight relationship there and that there is a conflict, you know. When I started here, we didn't have a conflict of interest commissioner. And conflict of interest was a routine way to take a minister out, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. Um, We had ministers resign here um, when the social credit government was in power. There was no arbiter. There was no referee. There was no conflict of interest commissioner. It was basically the media versus the politician, oftentimes, and the opposition. Oftentimes, the politician paid the price. There's no conflict commissioner at play here. Um, which means there's no uh, independent arbiter here. But again, I think David Johnson's sort of ringing a bell that not a lot of people are hearing right now, that that when they see the ties between the lawyer he's hired, who's got ties to the Liberal Party, his own personal ties to the Trudeau Foundation, on the face of it, it's problematic for a lot of people to see the credibility of the process he wants everyone to buy into. You know what, Keith? I also wonder if there comes a point when you've been in power for a certain amount of years there is this confidence or almost hubris where you really don't uh, don't think that anything you do is really going to come back to haunt you. Is that what's happening right now in Ottawa, do you think? Well, I think there's long been criticism of the so-called Laurentian elite, the people who sort of are above everyone who run the country, whether it's the, the, the prime minister's office, the Privy Council, the Governor General, whatever, this this sort of elite group that think that some of these things don't apply to them, that they are above it all, and that um, because of who they are, how could it be that I'm anything less than totally credible on, on issues? And there's sort of a smugness and a... Um, an, well, arrogance is probably not a bad word to use here, but certainly this this notion that they're above everyone else and that some of the rules that apply to everyone don't necessarily apply to them because they're above the fray. 
And I think as Peter, I think, put his, his finger on it, this gets people angry. And I think that's part of the thing that's playing out in Ottawa today. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to hear that. And uh, I agree. Uh, Peter actually hits uh, the nail on the head when it comes to some of the the feelings that are being expressed with uh, some of the concerns in Ottawa and what's uh, coming out. I uh, want to uh, come back to this interview that we had, and this is on the BC politics uh, uh, front, with the Conservative Party candidate for BC running in Mount Pleasant in the upcoming by-election. Don't know if you heard it, uh, Keith, but uh, she certainly tweeted something I thought was uh, extremely out on the far end of being right. And this is talking about uh, the role of uh, non-traditional men in women's sports. And we may have uh, lost uh, Keith. Let's. Um, oh, I'm here. Oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> you lost the clip. I did lose the clip. Uh, let me uh, let me explain uh, what she did have to say and uh, go right to uh, the tweet where she said, "Women and girls deserve to have their own spaces. Women's sports should be fair and safe, and uh, that can't happen when women are forced to compete against men who have biological advantages." That is the Conservative Party of BC's candidate, Karen Litsky. Uh, we talked with her, and uh, she's running in Vancouver, Mount Pleasant. Is this the type of approach that the uh, Conservatives are going to be taking? Well, when it comes to Mount Pleasant, the NDP candidate there, the NDP could run a, anything, anyone, and win that seat. They've got a very credible candidate there, in Joan Phillip, um, uh, who's a long-time well-known Indigenous activist. And I think the election outcome is a fait accompli uh, in Mount Pleasant. However... The Conservative Party of BC is a new player on the block. They've never been a force in BC politics since World War II. Um, the last time they elected a candidate was 1978 in a by-election. But the key to the Conservative Party, Bruce, is they are going to be taking some controversial positions that will get them some attention. They, a lot of those positions will be fringe positions, but they will get some attention. And the, the key in now uh, analyzing the Conservative impact is not looking at their province-wide vote. It's in a riding-by-riding basis. Mount Pleasant, forget it. They're not going to have any impact there at all. NDP's going to win there. But you start looking at the Conservatives running candidates in the interior, in the Peace River area, in Fraser Valley. We saw it in 2020 where the candidates took enough votes away, potential votes from the B.C. Liberals, to get the NDP a breakthrough in Langley, Abbotsford, uh, places they'd never won before. And that's the threat and impact that Conservatives are going to have in the next election. It comes Getting down attention. to numbers. Yeah. Uh, it really does. Uh, let's see if we could get one very quick uh, call in here. Mike and Vernon, what's on your mind? Quickly. Hey, good morning. Hey, I just noticed that uh, David Johnson has now hired the PR firm called Navigator to polish up his image. So this just gets going deeper and deeper. I mean, he knows he's in trouble. And, and Trudeau knows he's in trouble. And I don't know why they just don't pull the pin, realize they've made a mistake, and move forward. It, Thanks, just... Mike. No, I appreciate the call. Navigator, of course, Keith, uh, well-known uh, political uh, cleaner-upper, uh, just being hired. Yeah, I think it's, it's a whole, you know, the old saying, when you're in a hole, stop digging. And I think uh, Mr. Johnson continues to dig.